All right. Good morning. Doug said, my name's Jake. I have the pleasure of being able to share with you guys this morning. Got back this Wednesday from a trip to California. Did a week in San Francisco with Stefan over there. That was pretty cool. There's a lot of hills in San Francisco if you've ever been there. It's a pretty extreme walking. I had to buy new shoes because I had really beat up skateboard shoes. That was rough. Um, anyway, I'm really glad to be back, and I'm excited to share with you guys this morning. So if you have your Bibles with you or you want to open it up on your phone, um, you can turn to Hebrews chapter 12. That's where I'm going to be speaking from. And uh, just while you guys are pulling that up, I won't have it on the screen. I didn't do that, so pull it up on your phone if you'd like. Um, and I'm just going to open us in prayer before we uh, jump into the Word. So, God, um, I thank you for your peace in this place. I thank you that uh, the Prince of Peace, that we can come to you and just have a moment of solace, that we can come and have a calm and just kind of a break from the busyness of all that goes on in our head. I pray that you would still us this morning, that we would be able to just thank you for even the small things that are always around us that sometimes we overlook. We thank you, God, for a country that we can worship you in, that we can talk about you openly. There's a lot of places we can't, and that's a great privilege. We thank you for the opportunity to meet this morning, for getting everybody here safely, and for the health that we have and the food that's in our bellies. We, we just thank you for all the blessings you've given us. And I thank you that this morning that you want to speak to us that you're eager to draw us closer to you, that you take good pleasure in giving us the kingdom. And God, I pray that you would give each of us the ability, even if it's totally out of our comfort zone, to just really feel like we're one-on-one with you this morning. Even though we're in a room full of people and there's a guy at the front with the microphone, I pray that this would be a moment and a time of being with you. I thank you for your presence. We invite you to speak to us this morning. Would you instill hope in us, the hope that we're called to, Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. Amen. Man, you guys are, what I'm going to talk about this morning is just how valuable you are. You guys are precious. Every single one of you is a creation. You know, there's, there's yeah, there's 7 billion people alive right now. There's probably been a lot more than that, that, you know, if you had the total number of all humans ever, I'm the only Jacob Warren. There's people with my name, but I'm the only me. You're the only you. You're, you're, you're created unique by God. And the Bible says that all of us are made in his image. So you have a unique expression of who God is, even though there's seven billion of us. Each of us can manifest who God is because we're made in his image. We have to be reflecting him. That's what the Bible says. We're made in his image. But we're all still unique. And you're so precious and valuable. There's so much in our lives and our society today that kind of say the opposite, that really make us feel worthless. Is this all an accident? Am I here for a purpose? Am I loved? You know? There's so much that makes us think along those lines all day. And the reason Jesus hung on a cross wasn't just to deal with the sin problem that was in the way. It's a, it's a constant attestment to our value. It wasn't just for your sin. It was to reveal your value. If Jesus really was the Son of God, and he really thought you were worth dying for, what would that mean about who you are? What would that mean about how you see yourself all day? What would that mean about who you believe you are throughout your week? That's why he hung there. 
It's this constant thing. We're supposed to fix our eyes on him. You're going to hear that in the verse we're going to read. We fix our eyes on him, not just to remind ourselves about how bad we were. He wanted to do away with that so that we wouldn't have to think about it anymore. He's restoring our original created purpose. I love this analogy that this preacher gives. His name's Dan Moeller. I listen to him on YouTube sometimes. And he says that um, a microwave, you don't put tinfoil in a microwave. If you read the manual, it's just not a good idea. It's it's, it's not designed to have tinfoil inside of it. And he says that this is the owner's manual for humans. And we were designed to have God inside of us. We were designed to be united with God, to have him inside of us and for us to abide in him. That's the owner's manual. So if you try and put anything else inside of you to fill what you were created for, it's going to cause damage. It's going to be like tinfoil in the microwave. And a lot of us have learned that the hard way. We've lived lives where we were trying to put other stuff inside of us to fill holes and find fulfillment and find love that wasn't him. And we've seen the damage it causes in our lives. We were created to be filled with God. God says that when he makes you new, when you receive the forgiveness of Jesus... He's restoring you back to your created purpose. And he says that he fills you with his Holy Spirit. He says that you become his temple. And in the Old Testament, there was a literal temple in Jerusalem. And when Jesus was alive walking on this earth, he came to that temple and he started flipping tables over. He started, he, he, he got really angry. And it says in the Old Testament that passion for my father's house will consume me. And that's why he started flipping those tables. He said, my house was meant to be a house of prayer. And you have made it a den of robbers and thieves. Because these people back then were selling stuff and trying to make a profit and maybe dealing, you know, wrongfully. I'm not sure, but it made him very angry. I don't know if we have any other stories in the Bible where he, we see him behave that way. In one account of that story, he actually drives people out with a whip of cords. Like he's driving them out violently. He's so passionate about the temple. Passion for my father's house will consume me, it says in the Old Testament about Jesus. I want you to know that when you're recreated in Jesus, you become that temple. And God is still just as passionate about his home. He's just as passionate about you. You are that temple. Passion for his father's house consumes him. He's consumed by love, with love for you. That's how valuable you are. Isn't that crazy? (laughs) He's consumed with passion for you. You're You're made to be his temple. That's what the owner's manual says. Why don't we go ahead and read our text? Um, This is Hebrews chapter 12, and I'm going to start in verse 1. It It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm going to stop there. And I just want to unpack this kind of slow this morning. He's saying, therefore, at the beginning of this chapter, he's drawing a conclusion from something he was talking about before that. And Hebrews chapter 11 is kind of this famous chapter called Heroes of the Faith. And the author, throughout the whole book, is establishing that Jesus is the Messiah and drawing conclusions for what that means for the Hebrew people in their lives. He proves to them with the scriptures and with reasoning that Jesus was the Messiah, that he really is the Christ. And he says, therefore, you live this way. Therefore, you run with endurance. And in the chapter 11, it's talking that 
Abel and Enoch and Noah and Moses, all these people in the Old Testament, all these heroes of the Bible, David, Solomon, the list goes on. All these people are this great cloud of witnesses. He says, therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, all these people lived by faith. That's why that chapter is commonly called Heroes of the Faith. All these people ran the race that was set before them by God in faith. It was a different race than we run, but that's what they did. And they're standing up in heaven as witnesses cheering us on. It's a therefore. It's a, when you see how powerful that therefore is, that reason that we would run this with endurance, you start to really catch on to why this author took this painstakingly long. It's a full, it's a long chapter to say that. <clears throat> have you ever been to a, I mean, a, a lot of you have. Have you ever watched the Olympics? Anyone ever watch the gold medal game for women's hockey? The last Olympics? Anybody? Show me. Yeah. Yeah, that was an insane game. Marie-Philippe Poulain, Seth, scored the last two goals in the final four minutes. And uh, sent it to OT, and or no, she scored one. Or, I don't know. She did something. She she won the game. I don't remember it that well. You gotta you gotta ask Seth. Seth can come up here and explain it. But it was nuts, is what I'm saying. And it was Canada, and it was exciting, you know. And there's something that's really cool about seeing the Olympics, about being at a large sporting event and seeing such a insane amount of people unitedly getting excited about something. Like, isn't that just infectious? You know, infectious, however you say that. Like, doesn't that just infect you, that you want to be a part of that horde of people that are excited about something, that are cheering something on? Like, even if you're not a fan of the team that just scored, sometimes you're like, ooh, you know, you, you get excited too because it's just the crowd. It's, it's, you get excited. Um, that's what I picture when I see, when I read this verse. There's a great cloud of witnesses. I, I, picture, I picture you individually, not all Christians ever, but you individually are worth an Olympic stadium. And this great cloud of witnesses watches you as you run with endurance the race that's set before you in faith. I want you to know that you're worth that. In fact, I think that's an understatement. I think you're worth the blood of the Son of God, and you can't get a higher price than that. But I don't think it's I don't think it's wrong to say that you're worth an Olympic stadium of people who have ran a race of faith before and are cheering you on and are eagerly seeing, waiting to see what you would do when you're born again and you're adopted back into the family of God, when you're a son and a daughter of God. You're so valuable. There's a verse in the book of Luke that says that angels in heaven celebrate when one sinner comes to repentance. And it says that they will rejoice way more when one sinner comes to repentance than 99 righteous ones who never needed to repent. The reason that is, and what he's getting at there, there's another verse that says that we've all fallen short of the glory of God. We all need redemption. You don't have to be the one out of 99. It's, we're all the one, if that makes sense. But heaven erupts when you come to repentance and you find your created purpose. When you get restored back to that relationship where God fills you and you're his temple, you're not just a temple. You're not a structure. You're a son and a daughter. When, you, when that gets birthed inside of you and you come home, heaven erupts. I think it's probably louder than the Olympic Games. <laughs> that's what I like to imagine. Man, that's crazy. That's the reality of what we're doing here. That's the reality of the race that we're running. There's so many people that have gone before us to cheer us on. I don't know if you know this. I don't, I don't know if it's today. Someone can probably tell me, but 
this week or today or something is the 500-year anniversary of the Reformation. Today? October 31st. There you go. So Tuesday. In two days, 500 years ago, this is really interesting. John Piper's website, Desiring God, they did this special on the Reformation, and they featured one person that was kind of a key character in the Reformation each day on Instagram stories, and that's a very palatable way for me to learn about this stuff. I don't, if, you, if you handed me a giant textbook about the Reformation, I might have different you know, engagement with it, but they would do an Instagram story every day and feature one of these people that was very important in this period called the Reformation. And if you're like me and you don't know a whole lot about it, basically people died for the sake of us being able to have the Bible in our hands. Because the Catholic Church that was in power at the time, I don't know, they didn't allow it. And, and some people got awo- like awakened and were passionate about getting this in the hands of even farmers. That's what William Tyndale's, one of his life quotes, is that I want to see even plowboys in the scriptures. William Tyndale was burned alive for fighting for this. For, specifically for this, he was martyred. He was killed by the authorities in the church at that time for believing that this should be in the hands of all people, not just the priest. Like, you want to talk about a cloud of witnesses, there's a lot more than just the people in the Old Testament that have gone before us. I'm trying to, I'm trying to call you to see that you might be worth more than you think all day. What was worth getting burned alive for and putting this in our hands? What was worth the Son of God's blood? How, much of, how valuable must you be? How loved must you be that people would go through this to get this into your hands? This book just tells you that you can be restored to a right relationship with God through the forgiveness of Jesus. Who's so afraid of that? Why is there such a great power fighting that all the time if it's just a book? There's something here for you. There's more for you. It will blow your mind. This is the root of Christianity is knowing how loved and how valuable you are. Seeing yourself for who God makes you to be in Jesus. He says that old things have passed away and all things have become new. All things have become new. You're a son and a daughter of God. That's why I started by saying that the cross was not just about your sin. It's about your value. It's about who he makes you to be. That's who you fix your eyes on. Sometimes I think I spend all my time just thinking I'm not good enough. And Jesus keeps stooping down from the heavens and saying, I made you good enough. I made you worthy. We've got to get to this intimate place with Christ. It's not just a religion, it's a relationship. And that can get really intimate. You know, I heard this great quote by a guy named Jim Simbola. He pastors a church in the Brooklyn, Brooklyn Tabernacle. It's kind of a big church, I guess. He told me, and it was, I saw him live, it was pretty cool. I never forgot what he said. He said, the Holy Spirit will withdraw if you try and be anything but yourself. You remember how I said you were all made in the image of God? You have to be yourself. When you think that you're not good enough and you try and be someone else, the Holy Spirit of God withdraws. He's going to work through you as you. You don't need to be me. You don't need to be who your parents told you you need to be if it wasn't compatible with who you actually are. You don't. You were created in the image of God. You can be yourself and be filled with the Holy Spirit and be a temple of God. It's okay to be yourself. Let's keep going through this verse. We're still on like the first part here. Therefore, since we have this great cloud of witnesses right from the Old Testament, Abraham, the first guy that was a friend of God because of faith, right down to the Reformation, right down to people 50 years ago. 
this great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We fix our eyes on Jesus because it's about what he did. I'm often discouraged by my own limitations, but it's about what he did. That's why we have hope that's never failing. That's why 1 Timothy chapter 1 says that Jesus is our hope. That's why you're more than a conqueror through him who's loved you. It's because of what Jesus did that you're empowered. God's grace was not just to remove your sin, it was to empower you. It was to make you a son and a daughter of God, even here and now, even in your workplace now, even here this morning, that you would know the peace and the love of God and be intimate. Just receive his embrace. It's about what he did. He can do this in you. He can make you new. So we fix our eyes on him because he founded the faith. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, this has been a really key verse for me lately. It says that it's he who both works to will and to work for his good pleasure. It's he who wills and works. I should just look it up. I got a Bible right here. I can't quote it. Works to will and do for his good pleasure. Thank you. I was going to have to flip there. Um, what that means is he works in you to even to will, to even to want to follow him. He founds that faith in you. He gives you the desires. You're not excluded if you feel like you don't have enough faith and somehow some people just do. That's not just this magic thing that somehow you're disqualified because you can't muster up the faith. God will give you that faith. Sometimes the first prayer you pray is, God, help me to want this. Help me to want to know you more. Give me the desire to engage with the scriptures. Give me the desire. Give me the strength to just get rid of my distractions for 20 minutes or for five minutes and just sit with you. Sometimes the weeks are just a blur, right? Sometimes you're going through the motions and, oh, here I am again, right? Like, God, give me the will. Give me that breakthrough moment in the day where I want to actually be with you enough that I'm willing to put down whatever's distracting me just for a couple minutes even. That's where the prayer starts. God wants, to, God wants you to see that he's going to stoop down from the heavens and make this possible in you. It's according to his work. It's according to his love for you. He's the founder of your faith. He's not just the founder. He's the perfecter is what it says right after that. Because after this births inside of you and you're in this relationship that grows, you start to get to know him more. You start to be conformed to his image and follow him when you're convinced that this is, you know, this really is why I was created. You're an eternal being. When you start to get convinced of that and you start to see that it's only through Christ that other people are reconciled, you're a part of God's hands and feet reaching out to other people. And as this grows inside of you, this thing, this love of God that needs to be shared and it's calling other people back to the reason why they were created, it's like this little child that God comes down and walks and takes their hand. He's the perfecter of your faith. Walking that out is like God taking your hand like a little child. He will read to you in the Bible. This isn't a textbook that you're going to be quizzed on and you can get wrong and that's going to determine how your relationship with God is. He's going to show you. The Holy Spirit will lead you into all truth. He will bring back to memory all that God has said. You have a helper and someone who, someone who can sympathize with your pain. Jesus went through a lot here on earth. In the book of Isaiah, it said that he was marred beyond any other man. So if the Bible's to be believed, he's been tortured and hurt worse than literally any other person. He went through worse torture, pain, than any other person. He can sympathize with the struggles that we go through. 
and he is near to you. The book of James says, draw near to him, and he will draw near to you. Psalm 37 says that he is near to the brokenhearted. You are not alone in your darkest moments. You are not alone when you are brokenhearted. You are not alone when you feel like you cannot overcome. He is near to you. That's the whole dynamic of this relationship is that he would pick you up and take you where he has prepared you to go. (laughs) He can do this in you. There is hope. (laughs) Oh, man. Who for the joy, he's the perfecter of our faith, and who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. What What I want you to come home asking, what I want you to ask this morning, if you can engage with God even here, is what was the joy that was set before God? Remember how I said that cross was meant to be a reminder for us of your value? What was the joy that caused Jesus to subject himself to worse torture than any other man has experienced? It was you. You're his delight. You're his treasure. That false image of God that's so angry and unapproachable is such a lie. You are his delight. You're his treasure. We've got to let ourselves be that. We've got to get to know this God that sees us like that. Ask that question. What was that joy? Seek to know it. Ask him that he would give you the desire to know it. That you could start to come and have him read to you. You would crawl up on his lap like a little child. You have to be like a child to enter the kingdom of God. That's how this relationship works. You have to recognize your need and humbly receive. The book of James says, Receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your soul. It's something that he places his hands upon you and works inside of you. It's an inside change that grows outward. It's not cleaning your act up and trying to swear less and trying to get everything right. It's something that he plants inside of you that when it grows and flourishes, you just are conformed to his holiness. You're just conformed to his image. We receive that word by allowing him to read to us, by crying out to him, however you do. Maybe it's just the smallest little prayer in your head, God, I need your help today. Let that grow. Don't let any other voice tell you that that wasn't anything. Because it is something when you reach out to God. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. That promise in scripture is something that we need to stand on. We need to stand on the fact that when we are seeking him and drawing near to him, he will draw near to us. He will never leave you or forsake you. There is nothing else in all creation that can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. John chapter 10 says that no one is able to snatch us out of the Father's hand when you've come home. No one's able to. They don't have the ability to take you out of the Father's hand. There is such a security and a foundation that God is calling us to stand on. There's such a, there's such a peace that he wants to deliver into, inside of you. It's never meant to be doubted. That's why he's hanging there. That's why we fix our eyes on him. When we fix our eyes on him, we're reminded of the peace that passes understanding that guards your heart all week, every day, not just at church. He will guard your heart. Fix your eyes on him as you run, wherever you're running, you know. He was despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He rose again from the grave, and he's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I often pray that I would just have the, there's a, there's a prayer in Ephesians 1, I spoke on that last time, that I would have the eyes of my heart enlightened, that's the prayer in the book, that I would see the hope to which I was called, the riches of his glorious inheritance in us, why 
what, what, is, what is so rich about us? Inheriting us and having us grafted back into his family. What is so rich about that? What is that value? It's the same question. Why am I worth it? And that we would know the immeasurable greatness of his power towards those who believe. Because we were meant to walk empowered. God's grace empowers you to become all that he has set before you. He makes the path straight. And he empowers you to be everything you were meant to be. It's attainable because of him. You have the hope to be the dad you want. You have the hope to be the coworker you want to be, to be the boss you want to be. There's no sin or darkness in your heart that it cannot be overcome by the power of Jesus. He wants you to know that that is attainable. It's ready. It's at your front door. We've got to open ourselves up and receive this transformation and not lose sight of him, the author and perfecter of our faith. Keep looking to him. Keep letting him read to you. Keep letting him place his hands upon you and heal you and transform you. He's seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Ephesians chapter 3 says that he is. It's to him who can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. I don't know about you guys. I'm going to conclude with this. I'm going to wind down because I'm just rapid fire. You know, it's a lot of stuff here. He who can do more than we could ever ask or imagine. I don't know about you guys, but I can ask for a lot. Think about that. I can ask for a lot. And he has so much more. You are created for so much more than going through the motions here on earth. You're an eternal being. (laughs) Yeah. Let him know. Um, Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for every heart that has fear this morning that your perfect love casts out fear. Teach us to just be still in your presence and to receive the love that would free us from fear, that would speak to us that there is hope, that would help help us see in the moments of our week when we feel like we're falling short, that you just want to pick us up and parent us, show us a new way, that you're meek and lowly in heart, You're a gentle father. And you've taken away the punishment for everything we have ever done. You want that to be irrelevant and just to teach us how to walk in the newness of life. Romans 5 says, regard yourself as dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. I thank you, Father, that you've called us to run this race with endurance and you will make it obvious where we are to run. You will lay that out before us and give us the strength to run. They who wait on the Lord will renew their strength. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. I thank you, God, that your grace empowers us. It doesn't just forgive us, but it empowers us to become all that we were meant to be here on earth. And that we have the privilege of knowing that we are eternal, that we are yours. We are sons and daughters. We are home. We have somewhere to go with our pain. We have somewhere to go when we're confused. May nothing be in the way of us dwelling in intimacy with you of you having your delight in us. You call us your treasure. Help us to quiet ourselves and humble ourselves that we would just be your treasure and receive your embrace that both heals and empowers us. May we fix our eyes on you no matter where you call us to run. We give you thanks and praise this morning, Father. We give you thanks and praise. It's in the mighty name of Jesus we pray. Amen.